Welcome to the Change Africa podcast, where we bring you stories of inspiring individuals and thought leaders leading Africa's transformation. I'm your host, Isaac Kujudenu Abwa, and together with my co-host, Daniel Merki, we'll be exploring diverse perspectives, challenges, and opportunities for growth and development on the continent every week. Each episode, we delve into a different aspect of African life, featuring knowledgeable and engaging guests who provide unique insights and a fresh perspective on the issues affecting the continent across a wide range of topics from economics to culture and social issues. So whether you're already well-versed in African affairs or you're just starting to explore this fascinating and complex part of the world, the Change Africa podcast is an excellent resource for you. Sit back and enjoy another thought-provoking discussion that will inform and challenge you to expand your understanding of Africa. Hello everyone, you're welcome to the Change Africa podcast. Today is a very special episode of the podcast because we're having an amazing guest with us who is doing a lot in the African music, arts, and technology space. The global superstar is a tech VC and kingmaker, is an entrepreneur, is a business leader, is a musical innovator, he's a philanthropist. He is the Harvard-educated Oluwatosin Ajibade, Mr. Easy, Don't Easy. Now, Evil genius, I'm going to have to go on a tangent of mentioning new names that are going to come on. <laughs> Mr. Ease, welcome to the Change Africa podcast. Hey, thanks, man. I don't know why you mentioned Harvard or you didn't mention Kwame Nkrumah University. If this was an interview, that would be the point I walk out of the interview for a number of No, I mean, that's an interesting interjection because part of your philanthropy work is that you are supporting universities in Ghana. And I, that, yeah. that's not where I wanted to start from, but because you bring that up, let's actually start from there. You were supporting one of the universities in Ghana. Can you talk about that in a moment before we zoom into the conversation on why you want to invest there? I know your investments in tech, which you're going to talk about a lot in the conversation, but why particularly do you want to start sponsoring bright students in college? I think we might have done about 340 students this year and with the fund covering tuition. There's something I heard one time from one of my older friends that said a country cannot move past its national consciousness. And I thought that was interesting. I'd never heard national consciousness. As I pondered about it, I saw how there's a lot of things that build national consciousness. Education is one of the key things that could build national consciousness. And just the way education seems so underrated in how we can move people from a village to NASA. The amount of mobility that education can cause, not just for an individual, but for their family, for a community, is just so profound. When you always think, oh yeah, you know, you, you want to build and you want to give back. I was looking for something that I'm really passionate about. And one of the things I'm passionate about the most is education, passionate about education, passionate about creatives. And so that's why I was looking for how to do it and do it well, do it responsibly. I've been able to start in Ghana. It's been nice. We've been receiving some of the letters or the testimonials from the fact that it's been in collaboration with the university. One is seeing that the money is being used to good use and deserving students are part of this. It's, it's such a blessing to be able to 
you know, work with my community. What it is, is, is an investment in the next generation of um, students that are part of it. The name of the school is CK Tedham University of Technology and Applied Sciences. Wow, 340 is a huge number. For me, as I was reflecting on all that you have done and on the conversation we're going to have today, a question that kept popping to my mind and I wanted to ask at the end, but I think it's more relevant because of how we started the conversation in the beginning is, when it's all said and done, what does Mr. Easy want to be remembered for? Because you are on this tangent of being transcendental beyond what a usual musician would be. And what is that thing Mr. Easy is pushing for at the end of the day that he wants to be remembered for? I don't like to be defined by one thing I do. I'm a creative period. I create things. What has put me on the map of creativity has been music. And for that, I'm very grateful for the gift of music. But beyond that, I think I'm just someone who loves to create. And it could be music, it could be art, it could be creating an idea for an exhibition like I'm doing with Evo Genius Exhibition, or it could be creating a festival like I've done with Dirty Rave or business. I think creativity often gets limited with the arts, but I think entrepreneurship is also creativity because at the point of it is having an idea and bringing it to life with limited resources. I think the biggest thing for me is freedom. You know, I just love to be free, whether creatively or economically. I'm sharing my growth, my experiences with the world everywhere I can. And I feel some people will see it, hear it, and be inspired the same way you know, I've been inspired by mentors, stories, people I've not even seen, but I've, I've read about, you know, and that inspiration has caused like a lot of positive things to be done. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to live my life as free as possible, be as creative as possible, and in the process, inspire people. So let's start the conversation proper at the intersection of three things. First, you've talked about education, the gift of music, and how you want to expand that creativity. You have a master's degree. You started off a tech company, Obi-Weezy, or you were part of the team. And now you are doing a lot more beyond that. At what point did you conceive the idea of music? Was it business first or music first in your mind? Or the aspiration of going to school, I think, to be a pilot? Which came first and at what point did you settle down on? This creative journey would at least start from music. Music has always been around me from, you know, church to school. I remember, like, I used to say I used to be really smart in primary school. And then once I got into secondary school, it'd be like my brain fry. I don't know, maybe that would be because, like, from secondary school, I started to see girls where I say, hey, this girl fine, this girl fine. But, like, as a really smart kid in high school, this one time I, I had, like, straight days, top of my class, and my dad bought me a keyboard, and he got a teacher to start teaching me. I said that was the that was the first real time got more into music from a creation standpoint, but not as a career, and the next time I really, really be music was at the end of high school I had my friend who was a very good rapper and I saw that the girls really loved the guy that could sing so we'll go to the middle of the girls hostel when it's about to be holiday and we'll sing 
come to the end of the road and all the girls would be like, oh my God. You know, so it was for the excitement. It wasn't like career. Like I didn't I didn't think it was career, but what would bring me back into music was that same freedom. Couldn't survive on what my dad gave me as school fees. Not because it wasn't enough, but because I wanted more. And the only way to get more was to kind of like have an idea. And that's the beauty of entrepreneurship in that. Sometimes it doesn't have to be driven by you wanting to change anything. It, it can also be driven by you just wanting to change your situation. I just wanted to change my situation and have more money to spend in school because I was seeing other boys spending and I was like, why can't I spend like that? I wasn't driven by um, anything out of body. I started parties, you know, so I guess the problem I was solving was that people wanted to party. And at the time, partying in Kenya USC was segregated. You had the Ghanaian parties and you had the Nigerian, which I thought was silly. And I would start to do these parties. And I remember doing Epilogo External. I think that was the biggest one I did. And, I, and there's still Epilogo till today. I did one Epilogo in Kumasi that had all the university students. So I got really really successful at doing these parties and that's how i'll meet artists fast forward to 2016 where i'll decide i want to take this as my career but i did not really think it was gonna be the career and i was still chasing entrepreneurship and everything brought me here because for instance when i came into the scene i had the hats the raffia hats that i used to wear i only started wearing that raffia hat because i would go into the bushes of Beposo with my partner to go buy gold from the galaxies there. And then our company was uh, licensed by the PMMC, Precious Minerals Mining Commission, and we, was, we would have an ID card, buy it, and then come and sell the refined product. That was my uniform, you know, a singlet because it's hot, the raffia hat and Ray-Bans. And I remember I was still doing music on the side for fun. And somebody had said, hey, you need to send them a cover picture. I was like, what's a cover picture? You need to just take a picture. And I was just coming straight from Pepperstone, couldn't go that day. And I just went to the studio and they just took a picture of me. And that's what then defined people. People kind of saw the hat and the Ray-Bans and they fell in love. It was on the journey of entrepreneurship. Music found me, and you know, and I found music on that journey. So that's why I keep saying is it's still the same journey, it's still the journey of an entrepreneur, and it's still different things that are um, being born from that journey. I like the phrase that music found me on the journey of entrepreneurship. It's a great phraseology of that journey that you've been on. And what I want to know is how then tech came into it. To be honest, like the government in Ghana, I don't know which government had passed some law against Galamsees. And I didn't want I like I didn't want to go to jail, you know, and and I needed capital to go from small scale mining to like mid scale mining. And I was about twenty one, going back to Nigeria and telling everybody that I wanted money so that I can go and mine gold in Ghana. Everybody thought I was crazy, like 21-year-old boy is supposed to be, like, trying to get a job. You Because I was done with, I was done with KNUST. By the time I was turning 19, I was already done with KNUST. I hadn't even hit my 19th birthday when I graduated from KNUST with my engineering degree. So everybody was thinking I was wasting my life. It was sort of like 
life had handed me this and I was like wasting it away. I'm in the bushes of Ghana trying to get gold. And you know, gold has this image around it. And so I'll go back to Nigeria really to go look for funding. Searching the internet, I found about angel investors. Whilst I was looking for that, I found this company online that was looking for businesses to invest in, but they would only invest in tech businesses. And so I'm like, ah, I don't have tech business. So. And I looked at one of my boys, he sold phones in Computer Village and I used to buy phones from him because one of the businesses I did in uni was I sold phones. And he used to be my supplier and I used to help him sell some phones, add a markup on top of it. And I spoke to him, I said, hey, about Femi, like this, your business could be bigger. We could package this business and then go get funding. And so I sat all night. I remember coming to Nigeria to just redefine his business. He sold pre-owned devices and do a business plan for the sales of pre-owned devices online. He already had a website. We were already selling phones on BlackBerry Messenger and delivering phones to people. So it was already kind of like, and it was drop shipping because he really had no stock. And so we just packaged that and we applied and we got into the program surprisingly. So that was how I got into tech. It wasn't because I was like, yeah, I need to find this tech idea. No, it was like, okay, the only funding tech ideas, they say the investing period is four years. Okay, I'm still young. God how old I was at this time, maybe 22, between 22 and 23. And I'm like, if I can go get this funding, do it for four years or do it for three years, then my investors will know that I'm a smart guy. I know how to run business. Then I would tell them I want money for gold and they should come with me. Let's go and do gold. So that was the plan. You know, I just wanted to grow the business really, really quick, build credibility and trust to go back and do the next business. And I never went back, you know, from there, I would start learning so much about tech world, data mining, marketing, and I'd like start marketing my own music on the side, doing arts and all of that. And maybe three years later, I was not a musician. And I've not, I've not had time to go back to do Galamsey. <laughs> no, so you were basically chasing wherever the money was. You were ambitious and hungry and chasing wherever the money was. Yeah, I just, I just wanted freedom. I just wanted economic freedom. You get me? So it's, it's been this chase for freedom. It's been the chase for freedom within legal confines. If you go with the headline and say, oh, Mr. Izzy was a galamsey, then people go, oh, yeah, he was doing legal mining. But no, like we had a company. So we were a licensed company for marketing, for selling gold. The only thing is we were buying from the galamsey guys. We were not mining. We were buying. So it's always been like chasing that freedom. I just knew I wanted to be free economically. I loved the adrenaline of entrepreneurship and the fact that you don't know what is going to come around the corner. When you jumped fully into music, it was evident that you were different. You were inspired by a new mindset of wanting to create your own vision of what the African music scene could be. And that was very early on. Can you talk to us about the idea of being an independent musician who owned his own IP and even putting a tag and name Banku Music on the popular 
tunes at the time, Skin Tight, Pour Me Water. Why was it so important for you, the idea of ownership? Or where were you thinking? Where was your frame of mind then? Because again, you were newbie into this. You had organized some parties here and there. But why didn't you just follow the flow? Why did you want to, in that sense, be different? I think that's my engineering mind because I'm always trying to put things together. And I'm also driven by boredom. I get really bored very easily. And so I never thought I was the same as anybody else. I've, I've always thought I was different. And so everything I did, I had this very important for me to do it differently, to do it my way. That's my truth. It's not even possible for me to do like every other person does. Sometimes I'm like, I would, I'll be like, who sent me? Like, who sent me message? Like, one who just like, just go studio, sing. After singing, go sit down, let them send booking for. Like, wh why? Who why all the stress? You? you know, why all the stress? But it's just, that's just all I know. To be honest, I can't help it. I just have to do things differently. I just have to be creative. And the more I started finding out the back end of music is the moment I started thinking ownership was important. I started seeing the opportunity in music and the opportunity in African culture and African talent. All the music media was more investment and more visibility. Like you cannot make a continent of 1.2 billion people dance and you say like the rest of the world won't dance. It's impossible. We've seen this with K-pop. We've seen this with Indian movies. So you see how on the cross there's things that are part of us human beings that are the same. And music, movies, these things touch you regardless of the language. So I realized that I was in an industry that had unlimited upsides. A lot of people could see it. But not a lot of people were doing anything about it or could do anything about it because it was really tough. It was hard. And like for me, it meant reinvesting 98% of everything I earned back into promoting the music. And I, I was just on this journey to, to make it bigger, to make it bigger, to, to distribute it wider. I would like to think nobody makes music like me. Like the voice is very distinct. The style is very distinct. The beats very distinct. I only know how to like make my mark and that I was doing that and I wanted everybody to know that it was different. This wasn't like every other music you heard. And as I studied, I said, okay, I want to sign artists. And there, there were times where I was thinking I was moving too fast. My ambition rubbed off to a lot of people as arrogant because like, okay, I just have one or two hit songs and now I'm trying to do an American tour. Or I remember going to some of my friends and saying, you know, my colleagues and saying, let's put all our music revenue into one company and we'll have ownership pro rata and we'll then go to the labels to invest at a 10x valuation. And everybody was looking at me like, what this guy saying? Like, he wants to take our money. A lot of my friends then, I lost friends because they thought I was insulting them and I was too, too arrogant. I, I guess I was just somewhere else. And that was it, to be honest. So it's not something I can help. That's the only way I know how to. It's, it's now I'm even trying to stop myself. And like I've told my team right now, if you mention any idea around me, I might kick you out of the room. Like, don't tell me anything. Don't tell me what we can do. I don't want to hear. I'm shutting it down because I'm like, no, no, no. I want a sequence. Because sometimes that's what happens as an entrepreneur with lots of ideas. It's hard for you to focus. And then you need some level of focus to be able to at least start something. 
you know, and get it to some level before you go to the next one. But it's one life to live at the end of the day. What is wrong with labels as they traditionally were? And why did that inspire you to start Empower? Like when you say what is wrong, I don't really think it was anything being wrong with the labels. I was, I really thought it was more of the perspective to which we were seen as artists fundamentally. Coming out of this startup ecosystem of 440NG, I liken artists to, to startups. It's art we're talking about, so it seems kind of weird saying it in this way, like that an artist is like a startup. An artist is like an entity with intellectual property being the music, the one that's made and the one that's going to be made and needing investment to kind of scale it. So that was how I saw um, an artist and that was the kind of relationship I wanted to have with the labels. But I couldn't because nobody was doing those kind of deals. That wasn't the traditional deals, especially for, for Africa. So if I couldn't get that kind of deal, then I had to go it alone. So it was kind of out of necessity because I wasn't getting the kind of deals I wanted. And not because the labels could not give those kind of deals, but because at the time it wasn't sort of like novel, you know, that's, that's not the kind of deals that African artists that were bigger than me or having more catalog and catalog being more IP, you know, we're getting. So it just seemed like, okay, this is this new artist that is less than four years in their career, trying to do the kind of deal Jay-Z did when he had recorded how many albums. Come on. Like, even now that I think about it, I'm like, the audacity. And so that's why I couldn't get those kind of deals. And that's why I chose to work myself. And it's the same thing with Tori. I wanted to talk, but I wasn't getting booked. And so it was out of necessity. I said, okay, wait a minute. Why don't I just go book the venues and promote the concept myself? and, you know, keep all the money. A lot of it was out of necessity. I guess the problem there was me not getting the kind of deals I wanted or me not getting booked like I wanted. And then go just say, okay, since I can't get it how I want it, I'm going to build it myself. The more I got into that sort of rabbit hole, the more I enjoyed it. The more I enjoyed the freedom that came with it. The moment you take the money from the labels, rightfully so, they have to be involved in what you put out, when you put it out. And I couldn't get a deal where I had the creative and economic freedom, like the creative freedom to make music how I want, with who I want, the freedom to put it out when I want. At that time, there were all these deals where they say, oh, you put out an album and you have to wait nine months before you put out the next album. I'm like, nine months? Nine months, Ghana people go see, oh, Mr. AZ right now, you know, they sing again. And they're on to the next one, you know. So even the understanding of the way it was consumed. Now that I'm talking, I'm listing the problems. I didn't even know these problems existed. And at the time, there will be the Africa office of the labor will be in South Africa. And the South African office will be out of touch with what's going on in Nigeria or Ghana. That, it, you know, those deals weren't making sense. On an operational standpoint, they weren't making sense. What do you mean I'll drop an album and I can't drop another one for nine months? What if the album no hit? Then I go to wait nine months. So I just wanted that freedom. I, I think that was the issue. The structure of these deals did not allow for the amount of freedom I, I wanted.
And that's why I went on to start my own. You've spoken about likening the tech ecosystem and the tech mindset and even the venture deals to the music. Trying to liken the venture deal and how equity investments in tech are done to music. And I think that's really revolutionary. And like you said, it wasn't anything wrong with the labels per se, but the perspective. And I think that that perspective, you know, I, I'm not too much an expert in music, but that perspective is a different way to see how musicians are treated. And I think that's an amazing way to see it and bring that into fruition. One of the most successful people in the African music, Afrobeat space, over the past five years has come from Empower. How did you discover that talent? Instagram. I think I'd asked people to send me music and so people were tagging me in their freestyles and all of that. And then I found him. I remember telling him, okay, you know what, I can give you cash. And he turned down the cash and said he wants me to work with me. And at the time I had, you know, my label Banco Music. But again, I still was thinking it wasn't time yet because like I'd not even finished with my own career for me to start signing another artist. I didn't have the time. I was touring. And I guess when the Empower program started, that was the perfect opportunity because now I was I had decided, okay, you know what, I'm going full throttle into having my label. I'm going to try this idea of sort of like YC having all these artists, giving them the tools, the conditions, and putting sort of like the same amount of funding or different levels of funding, depending on the funding needs, and seeing which companies would show traction. And when I mean companies, I think that I think because I was then looking at the artists as companies, Joe Boy Limited, Derobi Limited. Yeah, and that's what we did. I'd, I'd like to think every one of the artists that have been through the program has... You know, Boson P. Young was a recipient of the grant that went for video. Camido was a recipient of one of the one of the grants. And the list goes on. Sometimes I meet some artists somewhere and they say, Oh, I was part of the program because they were they weren't chosen based on knowing them. And I guess, you know, following that whole the artist shows traction, you reinvest. That's what I was doing and trying to experiment on the structure. I had what I believed in, but it was now down to see whether that would work. Because you might have an idea, but it doesn't work in real terms. And to see how, what does working look like? What does the deal look like? And we just keep iterating and iterating and iterating. So we'll be, we're really blessed to be part of the Jobot journey. And that kind of made me know that, okay, you know what? It's okay to be crazy, but I'm crazy. And then there's positive results from this craziness. And it's, it gave us sort of like more inspiration to even do more. I like that, the inspiration to do more. And how, obviously, Empower is doing much bigger things. And your ambitions, obviously, keeps getting crazier. Before I talk about the current album and the new bunch of amazing Again, crazy things that you are doing. Um, let's talk about Africa's party scene because I didn't know that you were one of the guys that were doing Epilogo or doing parties in universities and how that has transformed into Dirty Rave and now Chop Life Sound System. What is your ideal vision of what a party is and why did you, after doing all of these parties, right, want to now continue on that journey? And how is, for me, Dirty Rave is different from the sound system lifestyle and what you are bringing new into that framework? I mean, first off, Dirty Rave is the best produced party in Africa. 
Like, <laughs> by far, I agree with you. Just what it is. <laughs> and it's just the attention to... I think I've always loved curating experiences right from when I started the parties. And, you know, remember I said those parties in Kumasi were, you know, bringing the Nigerians and the Ghanaians together in one space. And we will select the DJs. We will bring, you know, I remember bring, you know, bringing the DJ from Accra with the Nigerian DJ, student DJ. And so I've always like had this, I've always had this love for curating experiences that hasn't stopped and that's what we've done with dirty wave essentially curating a party experience you know an african music party experience and pushing the envelope on the production what else can we do how how important is security where's the just having the same level standard of experience that i'll have if I went to, you know, the best party in LA or in New York or some other part of the world, you know, and and I and and that's that's what Dirty Rave is, you know, with the with the, with the Chop Life events, I think is really me, is in the same spirit as Dirty Rave, where I'm the host, you know, I'm the host, I'm the MC, I'm the, but I like to call it ME, Minister of Enjoyment, curating the entire thing but whereas the chop life tours keeps on moving dirty rave has been in one place it's never left africa so i've done dirty raving started in accra did abuja and then it came back to accra and continues to be in accra while the chop life has been been traveling invariably is the is the same thing it's just one travels one stays as one is stationary and the other one moves. Again, I'm going to go into the new music in a bit, but staying on Chop Life, I think I have found at least six different entities under Chop Life because I've been trying to track it. There's Chop Life IP, there's Chop Life Gaming, there's Chop Life Entertainment, there's Chop Life Sound System, and there's this just bigger vision of creating Chop Life to be something Disney-like. And... You got that idea while studying at Harvard, or perhaps that that idea became more solidified whilst while at Harvard. Can you talk about what the vision is and what you want to make it become from these individual entities? I'm trying to put everything under one umbrella, and I have this brand that is synonymous with African entertainment, African culture, African lifestyle so that everyone can piggyback on the other one. With Chop Life Gaming, that is high gaming. That's that's sports betting. You know, I've been involved in sports betting from from 2017. From 2017, actually, first as a brand ambassador, then as an investor, and then as a franchise owner. Now we've put everything under the Chop Life Gaming brand, where Chop Life Gaming franchises the Bed Power brand in five markets. And in Ivory Coast, we'll most likely be launching as Chop Life Bet. That would be our own business. And getting on board more actively and moving towards reinvesting 
that into African entertainment. So like instead of funding, instead of giving money to a European club, not like there's any problem with that, but putting that money in developing the local and goes back to this my obsession with investing in African creatives and that covers the, the gaming side which is entertainment and you have the music obviously uh, which everyone knows and you have uh, Chop Life Cinemas that'll start putting out um, movie titles maybe next year the year after um, you have Chop Life IP that holds the music IP at the Top Life Foundation, you know, so it's beyond me. So I always wanted to create something that was be beyond me and that can aggregate all the different parts of African entertainment under one brand, you know, and you have this one brand. And that's what I'm trying to do with Chop Life. And if you think about it, it's, it's in my view of, you know, when, when I was saying something about focus and like i was just thinking of you know instead of building multiple brands let me build let me try and build one brand that works across board and i think the chop life brand works across parties works across music works across gaming it's the whole ethos is about enjoying life i say chop life before life chop you like being present and enjoying life and the foundation my foundation um Prior to the Chop Life Foundation, I was, you know, investing disjointedly. And um, I think the last two years have been part of my life where I'm thinking about structure, structure, structure. And it just made sense to have everything under one brand. Just so that there is clarity, all of that is African entertainment. Would tech be a fit into that? Because I know you have Zagadat as a tech investment vehicle. Would that also be somehow brought into the Chop Life Ministries system? No, but I think they do complement each other because Chop Life Gaming franchises the Bed Power brand in five markets, right? And Zagada Capital is an investor in Bed Power. So you could see, even though they're different, they complement each other. You know, you see Shubes. Zagada Capital has invested in Shubes, the ticketing platform. But when we do the Chop Life events, we sell our tickets on shoes. And so with this flywheel of everything being connected. Like you're saying, you're creating one brand where everything falls under it. So I imagine the future, if you go to a Chop Life, say, concert, the movies you are showing are Chop Life, the music is Chop Life artists. Everything is basically Chop Life and you have complete ownership. I think that that is a grand vision. That's a crazy vision. Like you've been saying, is is that that's the person that you are. Now let's talk about the current music that you're having. You've talked about having sort of a block and being away from music for some time, and it was art that really inspired you to do this music thing again. And now you are creating and curating art spaces in Ghana, in London. Have you always been a fan of art? And where did this obsession about art too come from? I've never been an art enthusiast in the way I think when you see me curating and creating this exhibition piece. But it just happened, it happened around this album. And there was sort of like this light bulb moment for me. You know, the, the, the beautiful thing is art has excited me about putting out music. The creative process of music has always been exciting. In fact, the most exciting part of my career as a musician is 
the studio when I'm making that music because in that studio I don't care about anything I only just care about the music and for once the only time I'm focused on one thing is when I'm in the studio and it's so it's so beautiful for nothing else to exist for the period whilst I'm in that studio but in terms of the putting out part of the music journey you know art has sort of like revived my excitement and my desire to put out music and the fact that it's no more monopono it's it's now bigger than that and the merger of worlds you know from visual art to music is just beautiful especially for this time that we are and um as african young africans in 2023 it's, i think it's, it's it's just so powerful and it's just so interesting and it's just so fun and um i'm grateful to be able to discover art as a medium of expressing my thoughts and my music what i find very very inspiring about that is that we know of afrobeat's global influence and you said something very insightful that if 1.2 billion people are dancing to your tune there's no way the world is not going to dance to it and the world has the world is african arts if people don't know it's taken over the world of arts has been taken over the world of art um for some years now but to take it to that next level on the back of afrobeat i don't think it's something that people have no one has done and again this is sort of setting new grounds that you've been you've been doing in different ways i am interested in seeing how other musicians jump on it and use the wings of afrobeat that is global now to ship african arts to globally because i think that would be very very exciting because african arts has value we know the history of african arts how some of our arts have been kept in some places that they shouldn't be and the cause to bring that back home but if we can still show our ability to create even now in the present i think it's very very great and 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 the intercession of music makes it travel even more um yeah and and i think that's a, that's basically a great idea 16 art pieces 13 artists 8 countries because that's my reality when i was recording the album i was traveling i was traveling across africa recording the album i'm working on establishing you know businesses and i was recording and like to think as an as sometimes as a, as a creative i absorb you know I, i absorb elements from my surroundings and that's what you see in my music because as i absorb i process it stays in my subconscious and then when it comes out you can see it so it was just, it was really my truth as against I, i as against a it was my truth and i guess that's what i'm speaking i can only speak my truth this this album is a record of that time in my life it would only make sense to it only make sense that the record is as diverse as the creation process that makes sense you know i was just watching your video fefen fefer that you put on empower um which is also part of the evil genius album and i'm i just remembered that when you say that you are at peace and you enjoy yourself i think you capture bits of that in that video people can go and watch it but i i i like how free you were and how playful you were in that video 
which is again something I guess the ordinary audience doesn't get to see, but captures that freedom that you've been talking about throughout the throughout the conversation. I am also interested in hearing about the title, The Evil Genius, and the inspiration behind it. Because what I'm connecting based on our conversation is there is a new pinnacle of a Mr. Easy who has been a global superstar, creating a global franchise now with Chop Life and everything. And maybe Chop Life, the song, is soft launching that ambition. Am I getting that wrong? I'm trying to read too much into it. And I'm like becoming one of those conspiracy yeah, theorists don't, right don't. now. But what is the idea behind it? Evil genius. <laughs> don't worry. Don't don't read too much. Actually, feel free to read, because like that's the beauty of um, <laughs> of art in terms of everybody having their interpretations. But evil genius refers to, you know, me accept. I think as an as an artist in the public light, you start to care so much about your public image and how image ties to your career to the point where you get obsessed with that public image that it is possible and that image of people's opinions having to be good about you um, and you you get so concerned with that that you forget you can lose yourself in that journey and so you know as I was making this album it was a very it was a soul-searching moment for me as I dug deep into my subconscious, you know, recorded some of my truths in a vulnerable way. And um, the evil genius goes to picking what the worst thing I'd heard of myself was, you know, oh, damn, I'm an evil genius. And rather than fight it, accept it. And having accepted that worst opinion about myself, I could then focus on the thing inwardly to say who am I um, and defining who I am through the songs on the project so that by the time you're done listening to the evil genius you you'd have met the evil genius you would have met who I think I am and that's why the lyrics of these songs are very very important and the art is very very important because it is it is, it is an introduction into myself by the time you've listen to the evil genius and you've interacted with the art, you should have met me or the version of me that was when I made um, the process. And it just calls us to, you know, do away with the, the prison that is approval and opinions and look inward to say what is my truth. I feel like I have been speaking to Mr. Easy, the philosopher, than the musician. What do you feel about that? hundred percent. I I was really fascinated to listen throughout because I can see on one side that freedom, like the need for freedom of creativity, the adrenaline, no boredom, audacity, which sounds to some extent quite impulsive. And then on the other hand, like the thinking about business models and the music is extremely structured and well thought out. So I was actually <laughs> really wondering, like, how it works in terms of decision-making progress. And I also think, I don't believe him when he says no new ideas because <laughs> it doesn't sound that that, is really, <laughs> that that is really possible for him, despite also there again, the analytical side, he understands the need for focus. So I was really wondering, how does that work in terms of how do you take decisions? How do you plan and combine that freedom of creativity with the analytical mindset that you also have? If I, to be honest, I'm like, 
I'm always surprised when people seem to think I'm um, structured because I'd like to think that I'm not structured. And I was watching something about Richard Branson speaking and saying, like, if you're not structured, then you go employ, like, the parts, you don't have to be everything as an entrepreneur. And the parts that you're not, you have to get the best people who are very good at doing those things you're not. Because, like, I really don't like to see business models, business forecast and budgeting and all of that stuff. I just, I'm, I'm just more, okay, this is the idea. Let's, let's achieve the idea. I've just been lucky to have people around me. That hasn't come easy, but I've just been able to have some of the best people around me, mentors that, that guide me and members of my team that help to put it together because it really was a madhouse of just ideas and pursuing different ideas that excites me and the back of house is where the structure is. That's why I'm grateful to the core members of my team and my mentors for putting everything together. So the the togetherness you see and the the niceness and the intention. I'm sorry to bust your bubble. That's all the, the team. <laughs> you know, I'm like a kid in the candy in the, you take a kid to, to a big supermarket, the kid is running, I want this. And I want this, and I want this, and I want this. That's how I am with, with ideas. My team has been able to help me um, put some structure behind it. But maybe I'm underselling myself. You know, maybe, maybe I'm underselling myself. Maybe, because I mean, if I still didn't, I, I mean, maybe I'm underselling my team myself but, I, I think you understand but i yourself. but i think my because, team has also done a good job in no in i mean helping. big ups to your team and and congratulations to them for all the work they have done a lot of work i didn't get time to go into some of the new developments work in rwanda real estate all of that so congratulations to them but for me the most insightful thing is maybe we also have done a good job of of getting you to go into the in-depth of the way you have done in this conversation because i have read a lot of the articles but the way that you have taken your time to frame the problems even you were saying that you didn't think you were thinking about them that way so definitely has to be you to giving yourself some credit for that work but yeah uh, we have been speaking to the evil genius mr easy on the chain africa podcast on what has been a very in-depth philosophical conversation on his career the way he sees music and entrepreneurship and creativity. And I think this will be a great start to the new season of the Change Africa podcast and everyone should listen to it. Pre-order the Evil Genius album. It's the best thing that is ever coming out into the African music scene. Thank you again, Mr. Easy, for having us. Thank you, man. Thanks, Isaac and Daniel. Have a good one. Thank you. The Change Africa podcast is produced by Isaac Abwa and Daniel Murky. It is executive produced by Tim Yastratus. The theme music and digital production is by Daniel Quay and graphic design by Andrew Ayi. This podcast is a production of Nexa Media. Music